in Luke chapter 6. Don't turn there. Let me just tell you the story. Jesus is invited to dinner with a Pharisee. Now, we hear the word Pharisee, and we immediately think self-righteous, arrogant, not humble. The Pharisee was actually a group within Judaism. They were the conservative theologians in Judaism. They were the conservative sect. They were the PCA. They were, you know, the conservative group within Christianity. The Sadducees were the liberals, um, and we have to remember that, um, but Pharisaism has become so associated with self-righteousness because it, it so dominated their perspective and the stories about them. Uh, but remember that when Jesus is invited into a Pharisee's house, he's invited into the home of a conservative believer. So he's invited into to dinner, and he's sitting there, and this was probably in the courtyard of the home. It would be accessible to the public. They could see what was happening. Often these kind of meals were held in the public for others to see uh, and be impressed. Um, but a woman finds out that Jesus is there having dinner with this Pharisee, and the Bible describes her as a woman of the city. In other words, she is a woman of ill repute. She is in the oldest profession known to man, as it's called. She's, um, she's a prostitute. And she comes in to the courtyard, to the dinner room. She stands behind Jesus at his feet, and she begins to weep. And her tears are overflowing and uh, cleansing the feet of Jesus from the dirt and the dust. And she has no towel, so she uses her hair to dry his feet. And then she has reserved a very expensive ointment that she uses to pour over his feet. It is a beautiful scene of someone who knows what Jesus has done or is doing for them, offering this woman forgiveness and a place in the family of God. It's a beautiful scene, marked by ugliness. As the Pharisee says, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who she is, and he would want, I'm paraphrasing, he would want nothing to do with her. Certainly, he wouldn't want to be touched by her, because these are the very instruments of her trade the beauty of her hair that she sells in her seductress glances. So Jesus tells a story. And the story is about someone who's forgiven. And he asks this question, who loves more, the person forgiven a lot or the for person forgiven just a little? And then he answers it. And he says, this woman loves, and the language is important, this woman's love, her affection is great because she has been forgiven of much. What the Pharisee failed to see is that we have been forgiven of a lot more than we think. We are sinners who have been forgiven. And if we think our sin is small, then we've only been forgiven a little bit. 
if we think our sin great as God sees it, then we are overwhelmed and grow more and more in love for the Lord because he has done so much for us. And there's no way, if you know how sinful you are, apart from the grace of God, that you can think that he's only forgiven you a little bit and that you can think that you can contribute something in this moment. But that's exactly what the Pharisee was experiencing. I'm a righteous man. I don't need a lot of forgiveness. Look at all that I've done for God. Look at all that I'm doing for God. In our series, we're going to go back to in the book of Galatians, We've kind of gotten through the theology part of the book. Now we're going to get into the application part. So I appreciate your endurance uh, with me to this point. The sermon series focuses on Galatians 5, 6, where Paul says that nothing counts, nothing is profitable, nothing contributes. Circumcision doesn't contribute. Uncircumcision doesn't contribute. It doesn't profit you to have either one of these What matters, what counts, what's profitable is faith expressing itself in love. So if you turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5, let me read our text and we'll kind of get back into the argument that Paul is presenting. Again, this this book centers around really two verses. The last one is in chapter 6 where he says, all that counts is the new creation. Uh, In this one, chapter uh, 5 or 6, he says all that counts is faith, all that matters is faith, expressing itself in love. Um, Here's the text. Look, you you have to pay attention when the apostle says look. He wants you to look. He wants you to stop what you're doing and pay attention. This uh, This is what the parent says to the child. Pay attention, right? Now you're paying attention. That was really fun. Thank you. A lot of you went, what? <laughs> um, look, look, Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And I I like the way the NIV says that last part. The NIV says faith expressing itself through love, which is what faith does. Uh, Faith finds expression uh, through love. So I'm going to say that this is the lesson that Paul's bringing us to, and I'll I'll bring you back into the theology for a second. Paul has been arguing to the Galatians that they need to remain true to the gospel. There were people who had stepped into the church who were teaching that, you, yes, you're saved by grace, but that's not enough. You need to add to your grace obedience to Jewish law obedience to Jewish ceremony, obedience to these practices. And in our text, circumcision is like that final caveat, that final capitulation to say, I'm converting. You remember that circumcision was a rite of entrance. 
if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism in the Old Testament, two things had to happen. Well, more than two things, but two things that are pertinent to us. Number one, all the men in your household, free or enslaved, all the males had to be circumcised. Second thing is everything you owned had to be cleansed with water. Guess what that's called? <laughs> Baptism. Okay. Everything had to be sprinkled clean with water or, or cleansed with water. Um, so these were signs of entrance into the holy community. You were saying, I need the removal of my flesh and the cleansing waters of God in order to dwell in Israel because Israel was the holy people of God. So to accept this was not just to accept a ritual, it was to have entrance into this vein of thought. It was you committing yourself. So when Paul says, if you accept circumcision, he's saying, listen, you're already, chapter 4, verse 10, you're already you know, setting certain days aside and certain foods aside. You're already starting down this path. And if you take on this religious right, you've sealed the deal. Peter sat down with the Gentiles, was eating with them. And then when people from this party, this Jewish Christian party showed up, he withdraw, withdrew because he, he, he didn't want to be perceived as being unclean. This was the dynamic happening within the Galatian church. It was a distortion and a perversion of the gospel of grace to exclude ourselves from uncleanness of other people, Gentiles in this case, or to say there's more that you need to do to supplement the work of Jesus. And so that's why Paul is adamant the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. This is a hard text. It's an either-or. You're either going to live in the grace of God and, and be joined to Christ, or you're going to be separated from Christ. You're going to fall from grace. And uh, I think this is the lesson uh, for, for me, at least, and I hope for us, is that we stand at the crossroads between maintaining our self-righteousness, our performance, what we have to do for God in order to be accepted, or, or and living in the, in the righteousness of grace through Jesus. Um, we're, we're met with this decision. We're met with this, what do I truly believe moment, I think on a regular basis. Maybe it's just me, but I experience this, this almost on a daily basis. Um, certainly, I experience this on a weekly basis where I'm faced with, do I defend my reputation? Do I defend my performance? Do I try and make excuses for my poor performance? Minimize you know, how I'm actually living? Or do I, do I openly and freely confess my failure because I'm living in the grace of God? There's this moment that I face uh, often in my daily experience. And I think we, we face this as believers even today. And the question is, will we live by faith? Will we live in the grace that we've received through Jesus? And this has been Paul's theological argument, that you are declared righteous through faith, that that's justification. That's a righteousness that the Spirit, chapter 3, is now developing within you. He's credited that to you. That's justification. Now the Spirit is bearing that out in your life, that sanctification. They're separate, but they're linked. And... Um, the question for us is, am I going to continue to live by the Spirit, or am I going to live under the terror of the shoulds? What I should do, what I should be, how I should live, blah, blah, blah. Um, let me kind of defend this, this dichotomy of these two choices. 
uh, we face these two choices of faith. And Paul kind of lays them out really clear. Uh, the, one side says the work of Christ needs supplementing. Uh, what Jesus did for me was important, it was vital, but um, my obedience confirms my faith, my obedience bolsters my faith, my obedience, you know, faith kind of grows out of my obedience and my uh, adherence to the Lord. Um, if you accept circumcision, again, this is the sign, and look what he says, I testify, verse 3, again, to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law, and this severs you from, from Christ, you who would be justified um, by the law. It's a belief that God's salvation is secured by something that I do or something that I've done. Um, it's a blending of sanctification and justification. Um, in order to be truly justified, there has to be good works in my life. Um, again, circumcision, that initiatory right, and this is something that they were already capitulating in. You can read about the same issue in the Roman church in Romans uh, 14. And Jesus is very, uh, Paul, Paul is very direct uh, about our connection with Christ, and it's, it really is an either-or. If, if Christ needs to be supplemented, then Christ is not enough for you. And I like what Hendrickson said. Uh, one commentator I read, he said, a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. If Christ isn't enough, then, uh, then you don't need Jesus. Uh, then you can do it on your own. Um, Paul's alternative to that is the gospel, and that is that you are much, much more sinful than you ever dare imagine. And yet, you are much more loved than you could ever dare hope. And the grace of God is the work of God to absolutely intervene into the lives of sinners, to offer them and present them and bring them salvation, not through anything on their own. It is all of grace. It is all of mercy. It is all a work of God. And we rest in that by faith. Um, look at what Paul says. If in uh, verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This, this word hope here is not, I hope so, it's the word assurance. We eagerly wait for the assurance that we've been given of righteousness. And this is twofold in the context. It's the righteousness that's been declared over us, and it's the righteousness that the Holy Spirit is actually creating within us as he sanctifies us. Um, Paul bears this out in, in the earlier parts of chapter 3, if you remember that section. So um, Paul's argument is that there's, there's only two choices on the shelf here. And that is uh, living by faith in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf, where you have nothing to contribute, nothing to add to it. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. He is the one generating the faith. He is the one generating your obedience to God. Um, and that life is lived in that level of dependence, or you have something that you have to do to supplement the work of Christ. It's not finished until you uh, put on this obedience, um, this performance. Paul's argument is that whatever you submit yourself to, it binds you or it frees you. You notice the first word, if you accept, 
Look, I, Paul, say that if you accept, and this is this idea of I'm submitting myself to this, I'm entering into this way of thinking, I'm yielding myself to the pressure. And there's two types of pressure. There's the external pressure from the Christian community, and we have that pressure right here at East Cobb Presbyterian Church. And we have that pressure right here in East Cobb. East Cobb is a highly religious community with different brands of Christianity, and if you don't feel the pressure, I don't know where you're living, because I feel the pressure. Um, I feel the pressure when I tell somebody that I'm a minister, and they're like, they step, they step away from me, like, oh, wow, you're, you're like on a whole different plane of spirituality. You've devoted your whole life to this thing. And I'm like, you don't know me. You have no idea who I am. You know, I, I had this experience up at college this last week, dropping my daughter off, not going to go there, going to cry. Um, it was okay until she, we, 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 after lunch, we let her out of the car and she started walking away. Wow, that was a, that was a hard moment, I'll tell you. We told her to turn around and took a picture, put it on Facebook, because, you know, I don't know why I want to relive that experience, but... Um, but I was meeting her, her roommate's dad, and, and I won't tell you his name, but, I mean, he had tattoos all over him, big bushy beard, you know, some earrings. And um, he goes to another local church. I didn't know that at the time. Um, so I started talking about, you know, look, you look like you're a, a motorcycle rider. And he told me about his triumph that he rides and, and this great bike, which I was, like, so envious about, except that it's a smaller engine than the one I have. So I started feeling really good about myself. I couldn't wait till he finished his story and kind of blocked the last half of the modifications that he did to his bike because I wasn't listening well. Sorry, Paul. Um, I wasn't listening well. I was listening to respond. And as soon as he was done, I was like, I drive an FC09. <laughs> you know, I was like so excited to share that with him. And, and uh, so we started swapping stories about bikes. And then um, I asked him what he did for a living, and he installs technology and companies, and he said, what do you do? And I went, oh, no, what do I tell him, you know? Um, I paint. <laughs> you know, I drive a log truck. I mean, I, I didn't want to say I'm a minister. I just said, I'm a minister at a Presbyterian church in East Cobb, and you could just see the look on his face like, oh, you're one of those righteous, crazy people. I mean, I don't know that he thought that, but you could see the reaction and a little bit of the withdrawal. I don't know how to relate to you. I don't know how to relate to you. That, that was what he was thinking. And, you know, so I said some swear words. To, no, I'm kidding. I didn't. <laughs> I really didn't, you know, make him feel comfortable. No, I, I didn't do that. But, um, but, you know, in that moment, how do I communicate, dude, I am a sinner saved by grace. There's, there's nothing b different than from us. You just have more tattoos than I have, you know? Um, so I, I got off on a tangent. <laughs> um, what, Paul, Paul's argument is that what you accept, you bind yourself to, or it frees you. And, um, and we have that pressure within our own community, whether we realize it or not. When we say that we're a Christian, there's an expectation. And the expectation is for some level of righteousness and holiness. That expectation's on me, it's on you. We have that expectation within our own church and how we raise our kids and what our political views are. I mean, there's, there's external pressure, but there's, always, oh, there's also internal pressure that we feel. The Galatians were feeling two types of pressure. 
the Galatians were feeling the external pressure of these people from Israel, uh, from, from Jerusalem, who had come and were telling them, you must obey the law. But don't miss the fact that they identified with that in their hearts. There's something about our hearts that says, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds good. My wife and I were talking about this uh, on the drive up, no, drive back from UNG, University of North Georgia. We both went to an extremely conservative college that, that kind of became our spiritual authority. I mean, they even said, you know, we are your spiritual authority. And they told us how to think. No, they told us what to think. They told us what to think. There was no debate. There was no engagement. It was, this is the truth. Think this way. And I can fuss about that all day long. But the reality is, there was something about that level of authority and control that appealed to me, that made me feel safe, that made me feel like I'm doing it right. Look, I'm following the rules. That's why Paul can say, Faith expressing itself in love. And if you understand what he just said, you cringe because that's hard. I would much rather say, I would much rather have someone say, Tim, it's faith expressing itself in about 10 rules that you need to keep. That's easy. And that appeals to me. And that makes me feel safe and secure. And as long as I keep these 10 rules, I'm good. But tell me, just just give me this open-ended command of love. And now you're, you're asking too much from me. Um, so this internal pressure we have to recognize is there. There's something inside of us. There's something inside of you that connects with if you do this, you'll be saved. If you do this, you'll be accepted. If you do this, you're walking the straight and narrow. You're on the right path and you can be emotionally secure. There's something about us that connects with that. And whatever is going on, that either binds us or it frees us. We either come into bondage, and Paul says this in Romans 6, when he says, says, uh, whatever you submit yourself to, that enslaves you. You either submit yourself to sin or you submit yourselves to God. Either way, you, you either become a slave of God for righteousness or you become a slave of sin for unrighteousness. And and this is what he's, he's saying here. He's telling us that there's, this, there's a result for whether we choose, whether by faith we live in the grace of God or whether we think Jesus needs a little help, whether our salvation depends on us to some level. Um, so whether that pressure is internal or external, which I think both exist, um, if we submit ourselves to Jesus plus something, then we, we end up in great bondage. I think it's important to notice the language of what he says. It's uh, all that counts, all that matters is faith working itself through love. There's a culture out there that says all that matters is love. That is not what the apostle said. You need, to, you need to see that. He does not say all that matters is love. That actually says as long as I'm loving people, I'm okay. And the problem is this love is very undefined, right? The culture does not define love the way God defines love. Um, and and it, it, love just becomes another work to earn my, my, my goodness, to earn my righteousness, my acceptance with God. Um, he, he doesn't just say it's, 
It's faith expressing itself through works or some kind of... And, and that's, that's very Christian. If you keep the rules and you do good things to others, you're accepted. It's this faith expressing itself uh, through love. And this is what faith does. It, it finds expression uh, because we're free from the emotional bondage that, that we carry within us. There's a cultural bondage, there's cultural pressure, and there's this internal... And when we in our hearts know that we have been forgiven, that we have been accepted, not because of what we've done, but because of the grace of God, because of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that nothing can threaten the righteousness that's been declared over us and that the Spirit is working out in us, that I can never not be loved by God, that quells the fear within the insecurity within, the thing that tells me I need to defend myself, I need to promote myself, I need to look over my sin and try and hide my sin and cover my sin, not be known. And this is a, I find this one pretty true in our culture. People are, you know, this is cliche to say, but Southerners are very fake. They can be, and I am one, right? I mean, Southerner by the grace of God, six years old, moved to Roswell, Southerner, all right? Love grits. That makes me a southerner. Okay. Love sweet tea. Can't drink sweet tea because of health issues. But there you go. Love sweet tea. Um, we can be a very fake group of people. And there's actually a control mechanism there. And that is, I don't really want to be known. I don't want to be known. There's a protection order in place so that I don't want you to know the real me because in knowing the me, real me, I become vulnerable. Now, up north, pastored in Jersey for seven years, the opposite, okay? I want you to know exactly what I'm thinking right now. And I want you to know everything I'm thinking, and it's all about you and what an idiot you are. All right, that's the north. The south is, I'm not going to share myself at all. I'm not going to be vulnerable. In worship, I'm not going to let my emotions out. I'm going to be, be very controlled. Very controlled. That's just proper. Um, there's a bondage there in being known. And, and you can see it sometimes in your small groups when people are just very reserved. They, play, they keep things very close to the, to the vet. They play very close to the vest. They're very, very private people. And, and I understand privacy, but um, there's a point where there's a fear within us of being known. There's a fear within us of being vulnerable and admitting who we really are uh, in the grace of God connected to Christ. Um, as an aside, if you'll look in the text, Paul says you're severed. Uh, Christ has no advantage to you, um, and you're, you're severed from Christ. He is not saying that you've lost your salvation. That's not his argument. Okay, if it was, he would have stronger words for Peter. Remember, Peter has withdrawn from the Gentiles. He's no longer eating with them. If, this, if Paul believes at that moment Peter lost his salvation, he would have had different words. What he says to Peter is, Peter, you forgot the gospel. He didn't say to Peter, Peter, you forgot the rules. He said, Peter, you forgot the gospel. You forgot the foundation of what it means to be in Jesus. Rethink your application of the gospel, Peter. Um, so it would be improper for us to argue that Paul is saying that we're severed from Christ in a 
broken relationship, it's, you're no longer looking to Christ for that, that uh, salvation. You've added to it, and this is a path you've already started to go down with your sacred days and your sacred meals. And if you go down it further, you're going to completely go down this path. Now, can God rescue you from it? Yes, yeah, sure. And he rescues Peter from it. Peter is, is led to repentance and to faith. Um, but Paul's point is, if you're going to submit to this, if you're going to receive the, the entrance exam of circumcision, it's not really an exam, it's just if you're going to submit to this practice, then, then you're committing yourself to keep the whole law because that's what's required in a works salvation. If you're going to try and please God through your obedience, it's going to require that complete obedience, which, by the way, you've already failed at. You've already broken the law. So, so even if you commit yourself to it, it's hopeless. Um, what you submit yourself to binds you. And, and, and this is true in relationships. If I'm going to commit myself to, to uh, pleasing a person, my parents, my wife, whoever it is, if I'm going to commit myself to pleasing them, that's the bondage I'm putting on me. Now, that's, I would argue that there's something different happening in my marriage than me trying to make my wife happy, than me trying to please my wife. I think I did that for about 10 years in my marriage. And then God said, Tim, your attention is on making her happy. And that's, that's bondage for you. And, and I would show up and be the knight in shining armor. Oh, I've had a hard day with the kids. I'll take you to dinner. You're my hero. Which I am. Okay, I'm pretty awesome. Um, I remind her of that often. Um, but I would even do, take her to dinner at times when I didn't have money. And so I'd go into debt in order to be the hero in the moment. And God began to show me that I was, I was uh, in this bondage. This wasn't love. I wasn't loving my wife. I was loving me. Because pleasing her made me the hero. I loved being the hero. So who was I really pleasing? I was pleasing Tim. And so as God began to show me that I was in bondage to my own desires to be the hero for someone in this world. I began to repent of that, and God began to free me from that, and then I started actually loving my wife. And sometimes love means, honey, I, I would take you out to dinner right now if I could. I don't have the money, but I'll tell you what, I'll cook dinner for us. And I don't cook much, grilled cheese. So I think we had breakfast for dinner the first time I made those statements. But I was freed, and what happened in that freedom is I actually started to love her genuinely. I actually started to make choices of how to love her authentically and how to love her not out of this selfish motive to be her hero. Whatever you submit yourself to, it either binds you or it frees you. And what Paul is arguing is that when you submit yourself to the law, when you submit yourself to a works righteousness, you're under bondage. When you submit yourself to Christ, he frees you. He frees you to genuinely love others, to genuinely love him. And this is his, uh, his conclusion that Spirit leads us uh, in this faith. Look, at what, look how he says it, for through the Spirit. And, and Paul is putting his emphasis on the Spirit of God throughout the book and how the Spirit is the one who is bringing us uh, in, into the righteousness that's been declared over us, creating that within us, that it's not something that we're doing, um, it's something the Spirit is doing as He has regenerated us and is now drawing us uh, into the freedom of Christ. 
So for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. It's not that we don't have, it's not that we haven't been justified, it's that we haven't been sanctified yet. And so the Spirit continues to sanctify us and make us what He has declared us to be as new creations in Christ. Um, and this is where He ends with, it doesn't matter if you've received the right or if, and you're boasting in the fact that I've received the right of circumcision or if you're saying, well, I haven't, and you're boasting in that. He says neither one of them count. Neither one of them have any profit. The only thing that matters is faith uh, expressing itself in love, and this is a work of the Spirit. Now, in my outline, I changed the word. I don't know if you noticed that. The Spirit leads us in faith expressed through obedience. That's not what the Apostle says. And I, I did that intentionally. What is obedience to God? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us, and here in the text, Paul reiterates it. What is obedience to God? What does it look like? It does not look like ten rules. It looks like go love your neighbor. It looks like love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. And again, I'd rather have ten rules. Because loving my neighbor can be costly, it can be spontaneous, it can be at times that I'm not ready or I don't want to engage. Loving my neighbor can be awkward. It can require more of me than I want to give. But it's this, it's love that, that fuels, um, it's the faith that fuels this love, this affection for God. And, and this is Paul's argument, is that what our faith, the Holy Spirit takes our faith and it, it generates through us an affection for something other than me. Which is new, by the way. That's unusual. For Tim not to be passionate about Tim and what Tim has said. And what, there are times when I listen to my wife tell me about her day. And I, I do this. I sit down with a, a little, little couple peanuts or something somewhat healthy and a drink that's probably not very healthy. And I sit there and say, ready, Go. And she talks about her day, and she will walk me through her day, and I feel like I'm actually in it. I mean, I feel like I'm reliving it play by play. I feel like I'm actually going back in time. And she'll finish all her words. She'll get them all out. Usually I'm, I'm done with my drink and my peanuts, and it's time for dinner. She's been talking as she's cooking. And, and bless her heart, she won't even ask me about my day. So how was your day? Now, there's a reason for that, because when she does, I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> Your, your day is so much better than mine. It's so much better storytelling. I sat at my desk and studied my Bible. I had a few phone calls. I answered some emails. It's pretty boring, you know. Um, but I'm okay with that. I actually, in that moment, say, praise God, I just got to listen to my wife and love her and let her talk. And, it, you know, I'm not worried about my day because my day truly was pretty boring. But um, there, there's a freedom to love her in that moment without thinking about me. Now, there are times when I've had something cool happen and I want to tell her, right? And then she doesn't ask and I sit and pout in my self-pity. But, um, but most of the time, it's like, I just love you. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Um, this love that, that is generated within us is a work of grace. It's a work of faith in what God, in the sufficiency of what God has done. 
And when we're there, there's a freedom to love others because we're not worried about us anymore. We're not thinking about us anymore. We're thinking about all that God has done for us that we do not deserve and how that grace has uh, freed us from a love of self, from a motivation to protect ourselves, to make ourselves look better. Um, and through faith, in this, we, uh, we wait for what the Holy Spirit is doing in this righteousness that he's creating within us. All right, some applications. Um, life, I, I, firmly, I firmly believe life is lived at this crossroads. Um, I told you at the beginning of the sermon, I experience this on a regular basis where I'm, I'm confronted with, um, I'm trying to cover a weakness in my life. I'm trying to uh, cover up a failure in my life. Or I'm trying, in my own mind, I'm minimizing it. I, ha- I had this happen recently. I was talking to a group of people and I was complaining about a local business. And gossiping about their shortcomings as a local business. And I, the next day, I, w- I got up and I was having my devotions and the Holy Spirit was like, got something to talk to you about, Tim. I mean, it just, it just popped. Every, every word I said went through my mind and every word caused me to cringe a little bit more. Now, I've read the, the, the posts on Next Door, and they're just brutal. This business is horrible. I hate the value. You know, and I'm like, holy cow, the venom. I know that kind of communication destroys community. My issue should have been talked to with that business owner and not with everyone else in the community. And here I was running down a business in our community because of some weaknesses. And then the Holy, and, and as if that didn't get worse, like the Holy Spirit said, so Tim, how would you like it if someone who had a bad experience at East Cobb Presbyterian Church or had a bad experience with your ministry went and told everybody in East Cobb? Oh, man, I was just one blow after another as the Holy Spirit was revealing my sin and my gossip. And in that moment, I was at this crossroads. What do I do? Do I minimize it? Do I say, well, that's not really what I meant? Or do I, well, they deserve to be told who they, you know, how they failed me. It just, it was brutal. Now, thankfully, the Holy Spirit's a little bit stronger than my will, and he led me to repentance in this moment. And that's, that, that really is what we're supposed to be doing as believers, is when we come to this crossroads where we see our sin, and we have to say, am I going to try and improve upon that and prove that I'm worthy or minimize it or blame shift, it's not my fault, or deny it or whatever I'm going to do in that moment, am I going to do that or am I going to just confess, repent, and believe the gospel. Believe that I'm forgiven. Believe that I'm loved. By God's grace, that's, uh, that's what we're called to do, and that's what the Spirit is enabling us to do. Um, what are the signs of supplement use? And I've alluded to a lot of them. We're, we're all using supplements to Christ. Um, I, I don't think this is an either-or. I think you're there. I think you're, if you would listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and if I would listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be telling us these things more often and helping us see how we, uh, how we are uh, not living in the grace that we've received. Defensiveness. Defensiveness is a go-to. Defending your behavior, defending your speech, defending yourself, um, making excuses, 
uh, for yourself, minimizing, covering yourself through calculation and control. This is one of the ways, as I said earlier, I think as professionals we tend to be very controlled people, and I think that's a way that we can be covering ourselves and keeping ourselves from authentic community that would challenge us. Um, image maintenance, performance pride. Uh, these are things that I think are at the root of East Cobb as a community. There's a pride in what we've achieved and what we have, and somehow that covers our weaknesses. Um, it covers the fact that you know, we still have Adam's fingerprints all over us. We are sinners. We are broken people. The terror of the shoulds. If you, if you go to bed and all you can think about is what you should have done today, um, that's a sign that you're on some type of supplement. Um, when your prayer is not authentic, when it's not real, when you're not actually talking to God, you're just kind of rehearsing your, your lit, litany of how you think he expects you to talk to him. Um, worship that's not authentic. It's not you expressing to God your love and affection. Um, these are signs that we're on a supplement. So listen to the Holy Spirit. What would he say to you? What signs of supplement use uh, do you see in your life? Uh, challenge your nature and your culture. Remember, there's external pressure and there's internal pressure. And, and you need to learn to, to listen to the gospel and speak the gospel into those moments. Um, I think this is what our small group ministry should really be about, is our community groups should be listening and uh, speaking grace into each other's lives and calling each other to faithfulness, um, calling each other to hope in the gospel. And, uh, and I'm going to end there because of time, but um, let me pray for us as we go to the table. Father, thanks for your love and grace. Lord, I, I, um, I think I've said a number of times that Jesus is sufficient, that his grace is sufficient, that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that we really are safe and secure in the blood of Christ. I pray that your people will know this, that they will rest in that today. That as we come to this table where we, we take the body and the blood of Christ, that we will cling to these things by faith, um, knowing that they are ours in Christ. Minister to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.